Hi friends, I'm Mikey Carl. Welcome back to 180 Grams, Stories of the Record. We're at episode 5 of 6, The Run Home Stretch. Already we've come so far, where to next? Let's get grounded. Close your eyes for a sec, it's like a flashback. It's April 2019, and the album has finally been finished. Brendan, getting into his car after leaving the mastering studios in Thornbury, flings the only copy of the CD into his wheel well of the passenger side. Make sure everything's correct and then give me the thumbs up. I think I was sitting there for a couple of hours. I didn't even drive home. I was just in Preston. Just like, there's a character to that album that's really unique, I think. At the end of the day, the result was awesome. On the horizon, a single gig over in Perth late April before the first single is due out early May. Then more shows down the east coast of Australia before it's time to play the USA in June. That gets us halfway through this episode, sports fans. By the way, the CD, the only physical copy of Run Home Slow in the world, remains in the wheel well of Brendan's car until he fishes it out in June 2020. Ivy League A&R manager and early champion of the band Marishka Cornelius is very excited when she sent the first song ready to be included on the album. So the first track I received from the recording sessions was Rain and I was in Melbourne in a hotel room and I'd arrived from having been out somewhere for work, probably seeing a band and played it before I went to bed. I was just like, oh my God, shit, (laughs) this is going to be such a good record. And then just kept listening to it over and over and over again, sent it over to Uh, our radio team and to Maddie, our label manager, and just said, have a listen to this. Marushka hears a band levelling up to become more than just a retro act with potential. They had gone from a relatively, you know, bluesy outfit to this amazing, yeah, wow, like just so soulful, so 3D. I was just trying to absorb as much as I could. Before my eyes gave up on me. I listened to it basically until I couldn't stay awake anymore. You know, when you're picking a first single to launch an album, it's kind of a big deal, particularly when it's a second record. They don't call it the difficult second album for no reason. It's always tricky. You know, and there were a lot of conversations around what the right lead song was going to be and we'd kind of gotten to a point where everyone had reached this general consensus of it being you know man of the universe and I rang Jeremy Jeremy I know this sounds super weird but I'm really feeling holy and I kind of think that that would make the perfect first single and he was like what are you doing to me you know and then when we entered the conversation like when we entertained the idea I think everybody was on on the same page that what made hold me the perfect first single um and the perfect launch for this new record was that you know I loved that it showcased the band at their rawest very limited instrumentation on that song it's basically a stomp clap track with the guys singing my name's Sam 
and I'm on the uh, lead guitar. For us, the best way to do it, I, th- I thought, was kind of kind of make it upbeat, but just like keep it really raw. And and we ended up recording, um, you know, the foot stomps like on the on the old deck just outside the studio. So we we got some ribbon microphones and hung them from the um, from the roof and and stomped on the uh, on the floor down there. And pretty much the rest of the songs all just vocals, you're just all a cappella and you know a little bit of guitar and plugged in through the Leslie and and some strings in the bridge and, and whatnot. I think what we loved the most was that. It showcased just how good the band are, you know, completely stripped back. Morushka's convinced band manager Jeremy, and now Daniel Glass of Glassnote Records in New York is feeling it too, with his live music hat on. And that, I think, is going to be a live classic for the rest of their career, that they're going to have to go in the audience, going to have to get people, and I think it's going to be three-minute versions and 14-minute versions of that song. And I think they're going to be—they're going to have conga lines out into the streets for the rest of their career uh, with a song like that. It's—it um, is what it is. It's just great. My name is Josh Teske. Uh, I sing and play guitar in the band. We never expected that this would come out as a single. So this is—we were really, really pleased when. A lot of the record labels thought this is something really different, something you guys haven't done before, so we're going to really push the song. First time we've done a song like this and we, we do this at the end and we just sing it a cappella and it's brought a whole new element to the show of something that we never, we never thought you know, we'd be doing. And as it is such, so also as such is it unto you. Hold Me drops as the first single from the Teske Brothers' forthcoming second album. Hold me, don't hold me down Carry me, but keep my feet on the ground. Hold Me may seem like a laydown bazaar, but our man in Berlin, Universal Records' Holger Christoph, explains that not all FM stations are getting it. Yeah, the first, the first single, Hold Me, um, wasn't the perfect song for us on the radio. I mean, it's a gospel song. It's very rootsy. You have the hand claps. You know, it 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 feels much like a, a gospel, and that's not the music you you would hear on the German radio. Um, we we got lucky that in in the Netherlands uh, there was NPO two, uh, who were really supportive, and they they played the record. I think they made it the 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 hottest rotation. Just what they did for every following single as well. In Germany, we had a radio station called Flux FM, which is an indie alternative station based here in Berlin. Hi, this is Uli from Flux FM in Berlin, and you are listening to 180 Grams podcast all about the Teske Brothers. That's also a difference here in Germany, just like in the United States. So you have a lot of local and regional radio stations. We don't have a lot of nationwide radio stations. So you basically have to convince uh, a lot of programmers uh, to to play a song. Radio was problematic uh, to get a support. Same with TV. TV is they are not taking risks, you know. If it's something they don't know, where there's no story, where with a different sound, they are basically waiting for other people to act first. On this episode, three singles are released. One, Hold Me. Two, Man of the Universe. Three, So Caught Up. 
May 8, 2019, Hold Me comes out. Then May 9 to 16, they gig around for familiar venues in Australia before the Teskey Brothers are due to arrive in California to play the Troubadour in Hollywood on May 23. The US live booking agency has put together a full schedule, even before they do a promotional tour in Europe, before flying halfway around the world to play Australia's Splendour in the Grass festival held in the second half of July. Splendour is a very big gig, but a much younger crowd. Not an obvious fit. Album done, singles coming out, tour's booked. All the pieces are falling into place for Team Teskey 2.0, except one. Bass player Brendan Love isn't ecstatic about the prospect of going on another international tour. It was only a couple of months earlier in February 2019 that he'd been catatonic on stage in London. That was a comparatively short tour compared to what's ahead in May, June, July. After finishing the album, Brendan's been getting some help for his mental health. And I had to make a choice of, do I do that tour or do I say to the guys, I'm really struggling, I need some time off to get my head right. And that's what I did. I basically said, I just I need to step away from the band for a bit, start this medication because I wasn't comfortable starting it overseas in case, you know, something, you have a bad reaction. Um, and so that's like that point where I said to the guys, I'm, I'm not doing okay. I think that was really the start of the healing process. And so, yeah, and then like I got home and I don't know, a week or two discussion of the next tour started coming up and I just started thinking, man, I, I just don't think I can do this. Um, and I sort of expressed that to Jez and he, he sort of helped me through the process of, I guess, coming to the decision and also breaking it to the others. Um, and, you know, it's the classic story of like, if only I had just spoken up earlier because I guess I was fearful that, I don't know, I'd, you know, I'd be judged or, you know, like people, I'd be kicked out of the band because it's like, oh, well, he can't tour. And, you know, but as soon as I spoke up and just sort of said where I was at, everyone was just completely understanding and, uh, you know, really supportive of me taking time off, which was a relief, to be honest, because I was, uh, you know, I was fearful that I'd be kicked out of the band or, you know, all of these crazy things. But, you know, at the time, I was just in such a weird headspace that, like, it's just all these scenarios going on that were just completely, you know, uh, crazy, I guess. He's out. We'll check in on him later. The Teskey brothers, minus Brendan, pack their bags and instruments, bid farewell to their loved ones, pets and regular sleeping patterns, fly off to play shows across North America. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're about to veer in another direction for a few moments. Uh, it's not so much an unexpected delay, more like an upgrade to business class. Here's a fresh glass of champagne, no troubles, bubbles. It's time you learn about the Teskey brothers' touring ingenuity. Drummer Liam Goff is our first air host. Kevin Cripp, prepare for takeoff. So I set about trying to figure out how I could fly an entire drum kit in cases at 64 kilos. And then you start looking at things like cymbals, which are, you know, big plates of bronze. There's a lot of heavy parts, the hardware in drums. So I started weighing all my drum components and went to a drum store and was trying to find cases that could protect the drums being thrown around because airlines are horrifically rough with gear. Yeah, I ended up figuring out that I could babushka doll my rack tom into my floor tom and my floor tom into my bass drum with a series of thin bits of polystyrene and foam. They were protected and then they would fit inside a, uh, a bass drum case. 
and then I built a custom case uh, to fit the snare cymbals and hardware all packed down, and it was all on wheels. And um, yeah, so there's two two cases at 32 kilos means I could fly anywhere in Australia basically that Virgin flew with my drum set for free. And so I don't know. I've always been notoriously the one in the band that was sort of the one that was more spendthrift and trying to save money. Yeah, that was just I don't know. That's the the poverty consciousness I was raised with, I guess, which I'm hopefully growing out of. Universal Records Holger Christoph admires the German efficiency of Sam Teske's traveling carry-on size studio. He's always working on songs. He built this mobile recording studio, which fits into a small suitcase with which has exactly the size of hand luggage. As does longtime UK tour manager Tom Rogers. I think he could sell that idea. It's a it's a thing of beauty. It really is. It's a homemade wooden box. On the top, there's space for a laptop, which I think is velcroed down. It might be on a sliding drawer that comes out. Two mics on clamps, one for your vocal, one for your guitar. That sort of stick out. Um, and then there's a preamp at the bottom that the mic and the guitars go into, and then into the laptop. So it's got everything you need everything you need it's got the power supplies his phone plugs into it so that charges it's one power cord anywhere in the world and you've got your whole setup there it's i mean it's, it's a wonderful thing it really is and he, yeah i've used i've seen him use it yeah in the van on the tour bus in hotels in dressing rooms you can just stick it on the you know on the picnic table backstage at a festival and just knock out some some demos it's brilliant tom also put us onto mike barker the tour bus driver in the UK. He's often on a different sleep schedule to the band so they can make it to the next gig. They have the, the mini recording studio up in the, the upstairs back lounge of the bus and me effectively being lulled to sleep by their their recordings. To be to be able to go to sleep listening to that was, was a real privilege. And Josh Teske puts his plumbing qualifications to good use at the airport when anyone needs to fill their water bottles. Everyone has a water bottle. No, uh, no taps, been hung over, you know, just came to the bathroom, attempting to fill the, fill the bottle. Okay, I'll show you the problem here. Um, see, the good old fashioned, can't quite get the bottle under the, under the tap. This is where it's handy to have a musician plumber. Turn off, um, Arco stop, undo, the flexi hose, half inch flexi hose there. We can put the tap in there like this. Turn on tap. He's quite handy like that. Not just a pretty face. Josh has been known to carry a very small pocket knife, as you do. On a previous trip, he remembered he'd accidentally brought it with him to the airport. Not wanting to take the blade on the plane, he ducked into a toilet, slipped it into the plumbing and retrieved it once he disembarked from the return flight. Arriving in California, they link up with fill-in bass player Kevin Black and straight away they're off to Hollywood, playing at the Troubadour. Then Napa Valley, San Francisco, Salt Lake City, Aspen, Denver, Boulder, Minneapolis, Evanston, and then Richmond, Virginia, the other side of the country on 7th of June. That's the day Man of the Universe, the second single, is released. Yeah, man. Whoa, whoa. 
Brendan is back in Warren Knight with his dog Clarice. It's winter and there's an abundance of photos coming in on social media from the tour. He feels a bit like a jilted boyfriend watching his ex have all the fun. After all the tense WhatsApp group chats during the album editing process, it's now become a safe space when problems need solving. Assistant Manager Al Parkinson. There were these beautiful moments sometimes in the WhatsApp messages where, or I remember this one time actually when they were in the States. They had a bass player there, and I'm not sure if anyone's told this story, but they were going from US to Canada. They were going over the border, and they got to the border because they were playing Canada. They were playing in Canada, but Kevin got denied at the border. Joshua Knight is from Paradigm Agency. He represents the band in the US and ensures everything goes smoothly on tour, which isn't always possible. I fly to Toronto. I'm in the airport. I get in the Uber. I'm heading downtown to our office there. And I get a call from Charles, the tour manager. Hello, this is Charles Twilling. That's him. TM in front of house for the Teske Brothers, and you're listening to 180 Grams. More from Charles next episode. Back to Joshua. And, you know, when they're here, I'm also sort of their daily contact as a manager, right? Because Jeremy and Al are asleep during most of the day here. And so I get a call. We're at the border. And I'm like, okay, great. Well, the gig's in like five hours. Hurry up. Well, Kevin can't get in. Oh, man, are you kidding me? And then I get on the phone with the promoter. Finally, I make the call. You got to leave Kevin there. And so then immediately the promoter and I start calling around Toronto bass players. Famous or not, can you learn these tunes to play tonight? We got some guys lined up, and then about two hours later, I get a call from from the band, and Josh tells me that the keyboardist is going to just play the bass lines on the keys, and they're just going to go from there. And I was like, okay, we'll see what happens. Quick caveat, the U.S.-Canada border can be fickle. There are many reasons why Americans can't get into Canada, uh, whether it be a... Uh, some sort of ticket, whether it's a DUI, too many parking tickets. I don't know the ins and outs of them. And it's on a case-by-case basis. So you won't know until you get there. L. Parkinson is keeping an eye on the drama from across the seas. I remember looking at the WhatsApp messages that were, you know, everyone was talking about, like, hey, we need to find a replacement. And I think Sam, Sam was just like, we need a Brendan Love. We need someone that is so good that it's just going to be able to, like, pick it up and do it. Because really... That's the kind of player that Brendan is. It's a kind of musician that he is. But there was just this moment where I was like, yeah, you know, 100%, that's what you need. As you know, King Listener, guitarist Sam Teske and bass player Brendan Love had a splintered relationship during the making of Run Home Slow. You don't notice what you're missing with, with um, his playing until you sort of work with another bass player and, and you say, oh, right. There's something different now. Uh, we need to, like, I don't know what it is. I don't know what he was doing, but we had to start trying to figure out what was the magic that Brendan put on, on songs and trying to, which, which I guess taught us a lot because, we're like, okay, Brendan does all these little things that, that we must have, these little licks and these little things that he puts on to, into the music that, that must be there. I think I maybe messaged him a few times while we were overseas to say, you know, like certain little bits in um, Honeymoon, at the end of Honeymoon, you know, like, where you know some of the lifts when like during my solo you know some of the things and the the placement of some of the notes that he does the gig in toronto is on june 18 2019 almost a month since they've arrived in north america there's a couple more shows in the u.s some festivals 
Then they're at the Love Supreme Jazz Festival in Glynde Place in England when the third single, So Caught Up, is released on July 5th. Nigel from Jazz FM has caught Josh for an interview the following day at the festival. The Teskey Brothers, they're the first band that they're going to be playing at Love Supreme Festival on the main stage. They're standing in front of a refurbished British bus, painted white with Jazz FM in black on the side. Josh is a bit shiny from the sweat under the sun, and Nigel is sporting a white, blue and black blazer with patch pockets, light-coloured trousers and a yellow windshield over the mic all atop a lovely patch of very British grass. And the man with the gravelly voice is here, Josh Teske is with us. Of course, it is your brother who plays the, uh, the guitar and then the rest of the team that's on. How have things been progressing since this, su- you know, because you've almost like stormed the UK. How's it been going since? You've been recording a new album, I believe. That's right, man. We've got a whole bunch of new songs. You know, we've brought a couple of them out. So there's three singles out now. We've kind of done that thing where we, we milk it as much as we can and we've put three singles out and the, and the record is going to drop on August 2nd, you know. So it's this new record. It's all recorded back in our studio in uh, Warrandyte, Victoria. Let's get to Europe, where the band run into Holger Christoph from Universal Music in Germany, one of the most popular characters in this 180-gram series. There's more shows to do and Josh ensures his pipes are in good shape. Uh, something I noticed I hadn't seen before was he's using this metal straw to warm up his voice and also to warm it down after the show. For years, Holger has been flag-waving for the Teskies. First on Song Picker, then trying to get them signed. Trying to get everyone seeing what he sees, feeling what he feels. Tell us more, Herr Holger, about the methods you use to build the buzz about the Teskey brothers across Europe. You need to convince people one by one. And the best way to do this for me was to basically infiltrate the universal system in the first place. So what I did, I put on the, the video of the Teskey Brothers on all the screens in the universal building. So when you go into the universal building and you take the elevator, there's a television next to it. So if you are like, if you walk around the building, there are multiple, you know, flat screens on the walls. So I put on the video so people would see and hear the band when they go into the office. We had the band in town for three days on a promotional trip. They didn't have a, a show scheduled in Berlin. We packed the days with interviews. We did the Universal Showcase. We also did a color session. Maybe we talk a little bit about the color session because I think the color session was very important for the, the marketing and the promotion of the record. I had a meeting here with the founder of Colors. So Colors is a is a YouTube live format which is filmed in a studio in a in a green screen. They basically change the color and match it to the sound and to the outfit of the artist. It's it's very clean, it's very reduced, it's very focused on the voice of the artist and it's it's usually not a full band performance, it's just like a singer singing over the instrumentals. So all you see is a guy and a microphone hanging from the, the roof of, of the studio. And he sings in, in this beautiful, clean studio. They had Billie Eilish very early. I mean, every video of the shows has millions of views. So I was really keen on getting the Teskey Brothers on the Colors show. But that's very tough because 
they get 1,500 submissions every month of artists who want to play there. And they are only producing eight sessions a month. So you can imagine how many no's you get. Again, it's not the typical sound what they do. They do they do rap music. They do contemporary soul. They do modern R&B. Uh, a lot of electronic influences. It's a very urban format. So... I didn't have high hopes that they would like it. After the meeting, I pulled in the founder of Colors into my office and I played Rain from, from the record, uh, which wasn't out at the time. He was totally flashed. I mean, he knew nothing about the band. He didn't see them. He just heard the voice and he instantly agreed, you know, to, to have them on the show. If I could hold you, my fan. So I think we filmed that uh, probably a month before the record came out. The Colour Session will come out six days after Run Home Slow is released. There's other publicity work, maybe not as exciting, but definitely necessary. The Teskies are starting to crack German radio and TV, but... Inevitably, there's a repetition to media interviews, notes Holger. It must be pretty boring for a band, you know, to, to, <laughs> to repeat the same questions over and over again. They put the effort in, it's all part of the job. After all, as Michael Gudinski says, They had a very, very good work ethic. Alright, so a bit of context for this last part of the episode. A couple of things to note. One, in 2019, the biggest festival in Australia is Splendour in the Grass. It's held outside Byron Bay and maybe the closest thing Australia has to Glastonbury Festival. There's no more big day out or international festivals that come through Australia than top it. Two, Splendour is heavily supported by the national youth broadcaster in Australia, Triple J. Styles and tastes seem to align there. Example, uh, the Batuta Advocate, a local satirical news site, runs this headline. Every single musician at Splendour absolutely killed it. Confirms Triple J. Now remember, Triple J doesn't play the Teskies. Kids going to Splendor probably don't listen to a lot of soul music either. But Team Teskey know how good the band is live. The Run Home Slow album is still in warehouses and record store backrooms. But three singles are out. The band's been overseas pretty much since Hold Me was released. There's also a bit of mumbling about where they fit in among the prevailing music genres. Al Parkinson has some thoughts. There's all this stuff about like whether the Teskey brothers, you know, are, are going to fit into a certain scene. And my feeling is just like, well, it doesn't matter. Like they're an amazing band and anyone that sees them play is like completely blown away by them. Daniel Glass is pleased to report his kids discovered the band without their dad pushing it upon them. My son Liam, our youngest, graduated from Princeton University in June of 2019, and we were helping him. You know, we went to visit his friends, and we went to his dorm, and uh, I heard Teskey Brothers. And I asked one of the kids, one of his friends, I said, like, how do you know this? And I think he said to me, I don't want to paraphrase him, I think he said, this is our soul music. Let's do a little backstory about how an artist gets to play a top music festival. We're going side of stage and into the glow of the music festival booking business strategy. Rob Giovanni at the live booking agency Select Music had made sure the Splendour organisers saw the band perform at Big Sound, the Australian Music Industry Conference in Brisbane 2017. 
that led to some big festival slots, including Falls Festival in Marion Bay, Tasmania. With the debut album in the works by 2018, stars were aligning, but it's a constant slog. Giovanni is slinging them demos, spruiking their live popularity, sharing videos and maintaining the buzz. So when it comes to making a decision, it's sort of already made. Splendour and Grass is known as a youth festival. You can We can spin it around and they try not to program it that way at times and etc. But in the end, the, the base of the crowd is just getting younger and younger. Would the GW McLennan stage... Who is GW McLennan, I hear you think? Grant McLennan was one of two main songwriters in The Go-Betweens, an iconic 80s Australian band from Brisbane. Their biggest international hit was Streets of Your Town. He passed away in 2006 and Splendour in the Grass honoured his legacy by naming a stage after him, similar to Glastonbury Festival and their John Peel stage. Not many of those at Splendour know who McLennan is and, in all honesty, Giovanni wonders where the festival goers will be familiar with a rock and soul outfit from Warrandyte. Would the GW McLennan stage be packed at the time that we were playing on the Sunday? Because sometimes you, you're up against other acts, or you're always up against other acts, and it, it was in the back of our minds, is it going to be full? Are the younger audience going to know who the Teskey Brothers were? Because it's it's a youth festival and it's Triple J driven. And this band has never had Triple J airplay. Rob is going to use the term in cycle. That refers to when an artist has put out an album and is touring around the world, hopefully playing bigger venues than they did last time, getting high profile and, of course, lucrative festival slots. Every Australian act in cycle or... They want to play that festival. You're pitching sometimes weekly, sometimes monthly, just trying to get that act risen above the other acts that are pitching at the same time. You know what I mean? Email, phone calls. Oh, no, it's kind of, there has to be, I was feeding them demos, finished videos and etc. But we knew that they would springboard the album release coming the week after and then we could strategize our album tour everyone is vibing on this splendor show there's a whole bunch of excitement and with that lots of nerves lots of trepidation especially from brendan because the band had just been on tour for two months and i wasn't and so splendor was the first gig i was playing back with the band after you know basically having a complete mental breakdown but I had spent, you know, a couple of months not in the band, and but also watching through social media the success of the band and, and seeing everyone touring and pictures and videos of this other guy on stage that's not me, and and I'm seeing the media hype around this album coming out, but I'm seeing this not involving me, so it was a really challenging time for me, and I didn't really speak to the band much while they're on tour, and the first time I saw them was, yeah, at Splendor the Grass. They flew straight from. I think Gatwick in London. Their manager, Jeremy Furs, has been working the band hard and typical for this narrative. There's a very tight, non-negotiable time frame to work with. Our heroes, the Teskey Brothers, must travel 16,500 kilometres from the UK to little old Byron Bay in New South Wales. Down under, mate. There's literally actually one flight, one flight on Emirates. 
that they could have got. And if they'd missed that flight, they would have missed Splendor in the Grass. So we knew we had to catch that flight. Liam is happy to report. And then we flew home. I think I'd been going through a lot on that tour, you know, probably drinking a bit too much and things. And so we arrived um, in the Gold Coast pretty tired, uh, worn out and jet lagged. And we got a hire car and drove down to a hotel uh, close to Splendor. And the other boys went to sleep. I tried sleeping, but I couldn't sleep. So I just went and lay in the park. For the first time in a few months, Josh, Sam, Liam and Brendan are reunited. Yeah, so we saw Brendan in the uh, highway motel car park, basically. Yeah, I could feel his sort of nerves and apprehension. I hadn't even thought about it that Brendan would be feeling as though, you know, would be feeling separated from us musically. But there was a hell of a lot going on for all of us at that point. I literally saw them like an hour or two before the set. It was a weird one for me. The cool thing was by that point I'd started to feel a bit better you know, like my mental health, you know, I'd started exercising and getting in a routine and it was actually really feeling a million times better. So I was excited to get back into it. And Splendor was kind of a funny one for me because it's just like, you couldn't pay me to go to Splendor as a punter. It's just not my vibe. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was just like, I just don't know if the younger audience is going to like this kind of music. And it's funny too, because the band before you finishes and everyone clears out of the tent. Everyone clears out and I'm just like, okay, everyone's going to watch Matt Corby. <laughs> and you know what? I was like, I don't blame him. I love that man. We, you know, we huddled backstage um, and kind of just all got in a circle, put our arms around each other. And yeah, I mean, it was just like that movie moment of just like all of that shit that, you know, we'd all just been through. I think we we're all just kind of happy to be together again the old band's back together josh is walking around blowing on his metal straw to get those thor meets sam cook vocal cords warmed up brendan is feeling the love liam shaking his drumsticks about sam's got his guitar tuned and taut their horn section is there to add the garnish it's go time what's happening pre-show rob hugs all around high fives then i went all right i'm going into the crowd i'm gonna see who's turning up What's going to happen? Jeremy's got butterflies in his stomach. And they made their way to the stage and I guess they were really calm and it just felt like any other gig in in terms of they never get super nervous or they never get sort of show any sort of too much concern for how a gig's going to go, even though this is, for me, this is like a really important one and and I was super nervous about how many people were going to show up. The tent filled up. Right to the back. The lights went down. And I went and stood right at the back of the tent, which I never do, but I, I just felt like at this one I want to see how far back it, it actually is going. Josh sings the first vocal chord of a song, I can't remember what it was, and just, you know, the crowd was heaving. It was brilliant. All of Brendan's anxiety and FOMO washes away when they hit the stage. And that performance for me was like, I didn't even notice the audience, to be honest, because it wasn't about them at that point. It was about me being with my friends in this band again. So for me, it was just like, yeah. And and it was a reminder of like, yes, this is like, you know, because I'd questioned it so much. I'm like, like is this the right thing? I, I just don't know. What am I doing with my life? I'm not happy, but I'm in a band, but it's successful. But 
does that matter if I'm not happy and blah, 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 blah. And then like all of that background bullshit that goes on in your head and self-doubt and self-worth and all of that shit disappeared the second we played the first song. But yeah, it just worked. Sam's studio nemesis, Brendan, becomes his stage comrade once more. The four mates from Warrandyte, backed by a horn section and organ player, do what they do best and lock into a hive mind. Jumping back on stage, realizing, ah, right, there it is. You know, that's the that's the pocket. You know, like that's that's the four of us back together. You know, and all the small little nuances that just sort of yeah make this the sound, I guess, that that we create. You know, is all kind of it was complete again. It was funny the band had like because they'd been playing with other players, and so obviously the set had kind of changed, and there was all these little things that they had worked on, and then had just forgotten to tell me. But luckily, like, I mean, we've been playing together that long that it literally just takes Liam to look at me in a certain way and I know what he's going to do. Brennan really gets it, gets the dynamic and really knows how to, yeah, knows how to lift it as a, as a rhythm section and, and, and with Liam as well. Like, Liam is just an amazing person to have playing behind you while you're doing a solo because it's just like you can just feel them constantly listening and, and waiting for every sort of build or every sort of change, every nuance, and they're sort of, they're ready to follow you, you know? And, and I think that's the, um, that's kind of the magic that they have, you know? And of course, at this time, we've got our horn players from back home as well. So we got like Charlie and Nathaniel back on the horns and, and Olaf on the keys, which was, was huge as well, another huge feeling. Bay FM 99.9 DJ Vanessa Hill is there in the GW McLennan tent. You had old men, young women, like every age group, every kind of person from all walks of life, subcultures, and it was, yeah, it was so eclectic and diverse. Um, and everyone was singing along, especially in the new songs, actually. When I was down the front as well, Josh, as he does, got into the crowd. <laughs> and I remember um, one, or actually a couple of women, screaming at me. <laughs> something like Splendor where you you know you've got an age group between what 18 and you know late 20s and uh, listening to this you know really old school sort of you know rhythm and blues which is sort of um, really really special for us I, I find that really I love I love I feel like it's bringing this this timeless music into a new era so that was really really special to come and be able to play these new singles that we brought out to have people know the songs it felt really um, exciting and amazing to be able to feel like this is gonna this is these songs might have some legs you know they might they might go some places probably our biggest single is you know pain and misery and that's a uh, you know a a, a slow soul lullaby <laughs> our, our audiences don't often um they don't jump or dance or shake they they sway you know so i love watching a kind of when we get a good audience like that to a lot of these tunes it's just watching everybody swaying to these tunes which is which is kind of amazing i find it amazing that we can be playing these old sort of slow ballads and have a full house like that of of a pretty young crew at a pretty party festival just kind of swaying to some some soul lullabies and some blues sort of tunes there's an incredible 
incredible feeling of when you play live to have you know an audience like that there's i don't know what the you know all the endorphins or all the different you know things that must be going around in a, at a live gig so when you've got a however many people sending all their energy to you they slay crowd sweat Bandbocker Rob Giovanni feels relieved and vindicated he's played the long game with the Teskey Brothers and Splendour in the Grass. It was a curiosity value of probably even in Splendour's eyes and our eyes and the band's eyes and management and record label to kind of see it was incredible. And they delivered and there was a full tent. Then I went side of stage and Jeremy was there and we're going, this is fucking happening, this is good. And we kind of, we've conquered. It was a big moment for him, you know. What about Yeah, big moment for me to go, you know what? I think that we, we have a new album looming in two weeks' time and about to announce this tour that I think we're going to go up many levels that we've ever experienced with this band. What did I do? Um, I think I went, you know what? It can't get any better than this, so I'm going back to my hotel room. (laughs) My job is done. Even more satisfied, should we say over the moon? It's a big moment. Their manager, Jeremy Furs. It was was a really important gig because it, it reminded them of what they can do the four of those guys together. Uh, they had had other bass players step in. It's not the same without Brendan, and it's not wouldn't be the same without any of them. So there was that realization after that show of like, it's really important that we look after each other, and it was really important for Brendan to take time off, and they all supported that decision. But they also know that you know he it's really just as important that he comes back and and that they they make it work going forward. So. I think that was a real, it was a real um, bonding moment for the guys and it really set up the next period for them nicely in terms of coming into the next shows, the next tour, they, they really felt like they were a much more solid unit. The gig's done, great job everyone, now for kick-ons. And we heard whisperings that Matt Corby was having a party back at his house so um, Sam, Josh and I jumped in a car with a few other friends and went back there and sort of hung out till the wee hours of the morning and then I'm sort of thinking I'm getting pretty tired and Sam was driving and I was like I've been up for three days (laughs) (laughs) and I've been on tour for like four weeks or I know three and a half weeks or something by this point and I was just like yeah I am absolutely exhausted we got back to the hotel at like 5 30 in the morning or something six in the morning had to get up at eight and go to the airport to fly back to Melbourne and I remember walking back in in here in this house and um, you know I'd, I'd been going through a heap of shit and I walked back into an empty house after people had moved out and stuff and I was just like basically just collapsed emotionally and physically It was a real low point in my life, which is so strange because playing Splendour was such a high point. 
Splendor is a success, but they're still going to do a big draining tour supporting Tash Sultana across North America. And nobody knows yet how the album will be received when it comes out in about two weeks. Whew! Coming up in the final episode of the first season of 180 Grams. Yeah, but where does a soul, R&B, slash blues band even fit these days in, in the musical landscape? Is this like a dub over? Is that is that Thor from Marvel doing a Sam Cooke impression? No, it's just a really, really amazing, amazing singer in Josh. And I just couldn't help it. I just kept asking everybody, how do you know about this band? And as much as if it was... In the 70s or 80s or even 90s, I mostly would have put my foot down about what song I thought they should play, and I didn't, and I'm glad. Let's see where we end up after starting out at the small St Andrews pub outside Melbourne, my friends. What a ride. As I said, up next is the last one for this series of 180 grams. Have you been listening to a bit of Teskey Brothers Between Episodes? Excellent student. Find links to articles with photos and more about the band in the episode notes. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land where we have produced this show. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging, for they hold the memories and cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples within the Kulin Nation. We wish to celebrate the rich history of Indigenous storytelling and hope to uphold this as testament to their eternal influence. 180 Grams is brought to you by the Mushroom Group. Hosted by me, Mikey Carl. Executive producer is Matt Gadinsky of The Mushroom Group. Thank you so much to the following people who worked their asses off on this episode. Courtney Carthy, Tom Canellan, Lucas Setyadi, Lauren McCulley, Dan Baker, Loz Grice, and all at The Mushroom Creative House. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review in the app. Ain't too proud to beg. <laughs> <laughs>